Good morning. Good to see everyone this day. Always look for the hats first. Very nice on the hats, ladies. Welcome to worship. Glad you're all here with us. If you would grab your bulletins, some announcements before we get started. On the back is a tear-off portion. If you're a guest, just fill this blue side out and put it in the offering place that goes by. And we'd love to follow up with you about any questions you might have about Mechanicsville Baptist. On the other side, the yellow page at the bottom is a good place for prayer requests. You can write a prayer request in there, put it in the offering plate, and we'll pray with you and our staff time on Tuesdays. On the back are opportunities for the week. If you would turn there, I'll mention a few. Uh, today we do have Encounter at 5 right here in Sanctuary, Youth, Ensemble Meets, Handbells, and then um, Tuesday, Women on Mission in the John Bryant Room, 10.30 a.m. Wednesday, we do have full slate of activities, Midweek Bible Study, Connect Groups, Awana and Youth, and Adult Choir. And then Saturday, I want to make mention Goalball Clinic. might be a little bit different than we've done in the past, but everyone is welcome to come. It'll be from anytime between one and four. You don't have to be here for all of it, but they would love for you to come out and watch them. They're basically doing a clinic for the uh, visually impaired athletes who are participating in goalball. Uh, they're doing a few of them this fall, but our first one is this Saturday. We're not doing the big event type of thing, but they would love for you to come out, watch them, uh, get to visit with them a little bit, share how welcome they are to be here. And they're going to be preparing for their state tournament this year. So very excited about uh, the goalball uh, athletes being here again this Saturday. Anytime between 1 and 4 to stop by and it'd be a blessing to them. Uh, also, October 31st is a Wednesday night this year and we're going to do an outreach uh, called Trick or Trick and Trunk? Trick or Trunk? Trunk or Treat? Trick or Treat? That sounds so familiar. Trunk or Treat? And Trunk or Treat, the Church of Christ is doing it too and you might say, hey, wait, they're doing it, we don't need to do it. I think it's great. Families in the neighborhood can come do trunk or treat in the cars at their church, do trunk or treat cars of our church, and we can just reach out and visit with our neighbors and our community. How it basically works is you take your cars, we're going to have them kind of facing each other along here, decorate the trunks of your cars any way you would like. I'm already calling it now, so you can't take it. I'm doing Pac-Man theme. I'm doing the Pac-Man theme. You can't do Pac-Man. So you take it and you just decorate it up. You have candy in your car, and then the kids will come to our church. They'll walk through car to car, trick-or-treating from your trunks. So make it family-friendly. I don't want any crazy, scary, evil trunks, Becky. All right. I don't want to, no blood, none of that stuff, all right? Good. So, uh, and then we can share with them about the ministries we have for, they, for them to get involved in, that kind of thing as well, just, just to be a blessing to our neighborhood. And it would be a great way, in my opinion, for the kids in the neighborhood to get a lot of loot all at once, right? That's what you're looking for when you go trick-or-treating. Yeah. All right. So that is... Oh, yeah. On that Wednesday, nothing else is going to happen. So no Awana, Connect Group, Youth, or Adult Bible Study. We're going to all be trunk or treating. I think I got that right. All right. Faye has an announcement, and then uh, we'll give you All right. So next week, I, or last week, I challenged you to practice your tying. How many of you have been practicing tying your shoes? I see one hand. Okay. Uh, next Sunday, following this service, 
we're going to get together and we're going to make the lap quilts that uh, several of us got together on Friday night and cut the fabric. We matched it up. We squared it up. There are some folks who have taken it and have started to uh, cut fringes. So if you're afraid of a pair of scissors, that's all right. You don't have to use them. They will be friendly scissors regardless. But they are there so that we can tie knots. And with each knot that you tie, it can be tied with the love of this church to go to the people in Nicholsville and the lap quilts that we will make to be distributed to the nursing home that we will be working with. Also, those of you who have found that your clothes no longer fit, if they are gently used, we will gladly accept those. Uh, we have started to think, okay, what if we get challenged and you overwhelm us like you did last year? We're going to figure that out. Who knows? We may be taking other vehicles to transport people, and the church bus may transport clothes and the gifts that you give to the folks of Nicholsville. But I hope you will join us. I have heard that uh, someone is willing to feed you. So if you come next Sunday following this service, you don't have to worry about going to get lunch because it's going to be here. And we're going to be in the small dining room over here tying knots and sharing God's love with the people of Nicholsville, which is one of the poorest counties in our state. So please come and join me. You know I've got a big mouth and you'll probably hear from me again. But I look forward to seeing each one of you with a smile and with the love that you carry in your hearts. Thank you. Are you? Leslie. Okay, we will begin uh, with our call to worship. Leslie will come and lead us as we worship our Lord. It's a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. So we're going to start by opening our hymnals to page uh, 325 in the name of the Lord. And we'll stand up. We'll greet each other. The choir will start in a little bit to get you ready to sing our praises to God. So let's greet each other.
fine to be seated for the uh, for the invocation. Yes. All right, I'm switching over to this. Okay, uh, Romans 1:16 and 17. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this day for this hour of glorifying your name, Lord Jesus, we thank you that your word and your grace has made us unashamed of the gospel. And we thank you for the power that it gives to each one of us who believe and the faith that you have given. God, we lift up this service and we thank you that uh, you are with us. We pray that you would be shown and revealed clearly through your word, through songs, and through all that you do. So we give you glory and we pray you have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, I ask you to get your hymnals to page 225. This beautiful old familiar hymn, There's Power in the Blood. And I, I love that. I love the chorus. There is power, power, wonder, working power. Do you believe that? Let's stand up and sing it like we believe it.
as we gather for the Lord's Supper, it's important to be reminded of what the Bible talks about with remembrance. Uh, We're to do this in remembrance of Jesus. And in the Bible, remembering is much different than what we think it is today most of the time. Remembering to us is something that we remember in the past. And the word for remember in the Bible, it's reliving or reenacting what you went through. So the Lord's Supper is a perfect picture of what we do. We reenact the Lord's Supper each time we come together and gather together. We remember actively the death and the, and the resurrection of our, our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we do this this day, I want to challenge us all not to think about this as something that's happened in the past, but today, together, remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room the day in which he was betrayed, he had the elements of bread and of wine, and he took the bread, and when he broke it, he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took a cup, and as he poured it, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Each time you drink of it, remember me. In the same manner, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Amen. Let's take our hymnals to page 104, and we'll sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Under that title, you'll notice Romans 5.20, and I'll give you a minute to find that in your hymnal, and I'd like for us to read that scripture together. Romans 5.20, right under the title, let's read that together. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Isn't that beautiful? Let's stand and sing Amazing Grace.
toy prayer. Hello, everyone. Great to see you here today in the house of the Lord. Let's go to God now with a word of prayer. God, thank you for bringing all of these brethren here for us today, that we might enjoy your word and live in it. We give back some small portion of all the blessings that you give to us, and we, we wish for you to multiply this in your kingdom. Plant the seeds that will bring more people into your kingdom and into the life everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let us go to our Father in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful people to be given the grace of your word, to be able to gather together in this church in order to learn and to grow and to become like your son, Jesus. God, as we pray for Mechanicsville Baptist Church, we pray that we are the church that you have called us to be, that we are people who are strong and unashamed of the gospel, and that we are people who are a light to our community, which is so engulfed in darkness. God, we pray that you would use us to extend your kingdom to those around us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes. And Father God, we pray that you would grow us into people who will do anything and everything that you ask. God, we pray that we would uh, take heart your great commission to go and follow you to the ends of this earth, to teach those around us everything that you have taught. So God, we trust this day that as we come before you, that you're going to build us up and strengthen us in the foundations of your word. God, I pray for uh, those who are hurting this day, for those who are sick, for those who are in the hospital, for those who are grieving, and we do pray, most certainly, your presence be in the midst of each and every situation. God, we thank you for being in control. We thank you for having everything in your plan. And we just continue to pray you have your way, and we see you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Thank you for leading us in worship, and thank you, Brenda, for being here to play. It's always good to see you. We are continuing a two-part series on being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, we asked the question, are we unashamed? And a lot of it went right back down to this book right here. Are you ashamed of anything that's in here, or is every word a delight and joy because it's the word of the Lord? If there's nothing, there's nothing in this book we have to be embarrassed about. And that's exciting because God's given it to us as a gift of grace. So last week, I'll recap. Uh, First thing Paul was imparting to Timothy is that he has received a gift of God. That gift was this courage, and we in Christ have been given his Holy Spirit and this gift of courage. We are not to be meek or ashamed or embarrassed of our gospel. Number two, that gift of courage from God is to be fed or to be fanned into flame, as it talked about. And it is fanned into flame by the power of God himself. So we're given a gift that's of God. We're told to feed that gift. It's the power of God. And then how do we do that? By the grace of God. It's all God. It's God who gives us the gift. It's God who sustains the fire. And it's God who graciously allows us to do that. And it's fanned into flame through the grace that is in the word of God. That's that's where we find grace in God's word. And so he gives this start to Timothy to say, you are someone who needs to be strongly unashamed and courageous to suffer and to speak openly of Christ because you're a person who's been fed the grace of God of the word of God. Grace has been imparted to you. Now go and impart it to others. So today, uh, we further see that Paul gives Timothy five monumental foundational truths 
from the word of God that he can build his life and ministry and be a person who is strongly unashamed. Because we know Timothy was a meek, timid person until the power of the Holy Spirit, until the gift of God came and he lived under the word of God to be emboldened for Christ. So that was last week and we left off on 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 and we're going to pick up from there and then we're going to read through verse 19. The focus of this sermon will be more of the second half, but I didn't want to leave off the first part of this as it is so important to see where we're going and where God is going in his encouragement to Timothy. So let me pray before we read his word. God, I pray your spirit bless each and every word that is about to be read. We thank you that your word is truth, and we thank you that your word is life-giving, and is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living, it's active. So God, we proclaim that truth this day, and we pray that your Holy Spirit bring this truth to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 2, start with verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him, If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Verse 14, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is a tremendous passage, as is every passage we open in God's word. But this is especially important to us today, because I fear the church has strayed in the truth of the gospel in many, many facets today. And we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ what the gospel is, and how we can live as 
God has called Paul and Timothy to live as we should live today. The, the, the reason we need this is because the church needs to be strengthened in his word. The church needs to be emboldened because we live in a time in which it is more and more difficult to be strong and to be unashamed. And we don't want that. And so Paul gives us this word for Timothy that he gives in such a heartfelt and powerful way, and he gives it to us that we have to have our life based upon these things or we are not going to be strong and courageous and unashamed like we should. We have to remind ourselves that Paul has taken the role of Timothy's spiritual father. In chapter 1, verse 2, he said to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God to you. Paul stepped in and became the spiritual father that Timothy did not have because his father, as we talked about last week, was a Greek. He got his faith from his grandmother and his mother's side. And Paul stepped in and said, I, I'm your spiritual father, and we need fathers today to step up in this culture to be spiritual fathers of a generation that needs strength in the word. And over and over, he imparts this love for Timothy and the grace of the strength to be unashamed of who he is. Verse 1 in chapter 2, you therefore, my son, he calls him my son again, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to quickly go through the next few verses and then we will get to these foundational truths. Number two, verse two, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's saying to Timothy, if you're going to be strong, it's not in a grace that is to be kept to yourself, but empower others around you to share and to give the message in which you have been given. Entrust it to people who are strong so that they will be able to teach others as well. And then in verse 3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He's saying, in order to do this, you have to embrace suffering. Don't avoid it. Don't run from it. Take it like a good soldier to please your superior is kind of how he's looking at it here. A soldier lives to please their superior. We, as Christ followers, live to please God, not man. That's going to be an important theme of what we see here with Timothy. And then he goes on, if you want to compete in a, as an athlete, you do not win the prize unless you compete according to the rules. He's saying, Timothy, be who you're supposed to be and be, be it in the right way. Don't take shortcuts. Don't look at easy outs for difficulties that come in life. Embrace these difficulties and take them with the grace of God. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer is the first to receive his share of the crops, saying that there is a, a work ethic involved in following Jesus. It's not to be taken lightly. It's to be taken seriously. And when you do and when you're faithful and when you're obedient and when you suffer and when you persevere, the rewards are the presence in the person of Jesus Christ. And we receive that as a hardworking farmer. So he says, consider what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. I uh, watched a YouTube video uh, this week. Uh, a young lady named, I'll tell you her name, Lisa Gunger. She is half of the husband and wife music group Gunger, which is a Christian group that has been pretty successful in the last 10 years. 
she went on YouTube this week and explained in about seven minutes why she's an atheist now. It's one of the more heartbreaking videos you'll ever see. One reason is because she comes across so good-intentioned. Tells about her past, tells about her journey, and why all these things that happened have led her away from this Christian faith, or religion as she calls it. And it's devastating to watch because you could see maybe people could relate to that. But what you see at its very core is someone who never got the gospel in the first place. They never understood that the gospel is not about getting whatever you want. And this is the thing that led her away from Christ. She didn't get what she wanted. And so she, she saw that God must not be real. Suffering is at the heart of the gospel. And if you get this message, the worse it becomes, the stronger you can become in Christ. Suffering was never something that the early disciples were told they had to avoid. Suffering is what made them strong. Paul is saying here, suffering is going to be something that in it you will know Jesus and you'll share in his sufferings in a deeper way. It should make us stronger in our faith. And so to see a young lady and her husband both deny Christ is a reminder that the church is what fed those beliefs to them. That if they didn't get what they wanted, they weren't going to be favored by God. And the church needs to be reminded of what the gospel is. So he says, the Lord will give you understanding in this. And that's what I pray as we look at these foundational truths that Paul gives to Timothy. The Lord gives us his understanding in this. And this is from God's word, not me. And that we should crave it. The first foundational truth is that next verse, verse 8. It says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. The very first truth, if you're a note taker, I shared about Ethan journaling in the last service, by the way. Congratulations. I said journaling's a good thing, and you're journaling. He's confused. I found some notes from his journal. I won't go any further. It was good. If you're journaling... That there's, there's a reason you do it. It's so that you can remember things at a future time. So Paul is telling Timothy here, remember Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes today, this is foundation number one, that never let Jesus be far from your mind. Never let Jesus be far. Remember Jesus Christ. In the, in the Lord's Supper today, that's why we do this. We do the reenactment of the Lord's Supper so that we can remember Jesus Christ, actively. And that's what, that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. There should not be a day where you forget about the person of Jesus Christ being near to you. There should never be a day. We, I think, fail at that basic foundational truth so often. I remember when, uh, when Bryson went on the school bus when he was a kindergartner. Yes, I remember that far. He gets on the bus. A lot of parents can probably remember this. That first day, they get on the bus, and it's like your heart has just gone with them. And all day long, you're like, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder how he's doing. I wonder how he's adjusting. I wonder, wonder what they're going through. The whole day long, you're sort of obsessed with your kid who's gone away from home for the first day. They get off that bus the first day, just like these parents today. They're right waiting off the bus, and they're talking to them. Oh, I missed you. I thought about you all day. Are we like that with Jesus? Jesus. 
think about him all day long in everything we go through, or it's just like we're going to put him in his place and go about the rest of our day. Paul's like, if you want to be strong in Jesus, you're going to remember Jesus Christ actively all the time. You're not going to, it's not going to be something that you just, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. It's going to be something at the very forefront of our minds. And two little sub-points here that we should always remember about Jesus. Number one, he's risen from the dead. He is not a defeated Savior. He suffered, he died, but he rose victoriously. He's saying, Timothy, remember that. When you suffer, when you struggle, remember Jesus suffered and struggled, but is victorious. And you, no matter your sufferings, no matter your struggles, remember Jesus Christ is victorious in you. Remember this courage. And he's a descendant of David. Important because he's also the promised Messiah. He's the one from all eternity that was promised to redeem and rescue his people. He's saying, remember that Jesus is victorious and he's the one that was promised from all time and there's no excuse for you to go a long time in your day and not think about him. Those two things, his being risen from the dead, do we think about that on Easter or do we think about that every day? We should think about that every day. Do we remember Jesus? He is the Messiah. And do remember that he is your Savior this day and every day. So that's the first foundational truth. It might sound simple, but you can't build on any of these other four foundations until you are consumed with the person of Jesus Christ. You can't stop thinking about him. You can't stop talking about him. You can't stop dwelling on his word. You're consumed with him. He's saying, Timothy, if you're going to be strong today, you've got to be consumed with Jesus. Are we that way today? Do people see us as people who are consumed with Jesus? He's close at hand, and we remember him all the time. Second foundational truth is in the next verse. Based on that truth, he says, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. The second truth is people may be bound, but the word of God is not. The word of God is not bound even though people are bound. He says, I suffer hardship because the word of God is going to be victorious. He doesn't water this down to Timothy. He's truthfully suffering. Paul is in prison. He's in chains. It's real. He's hurt. And he even says here, he's accused of being a criminal. As he says in other places, accused of being an evildoer. He's saying, people all around me accuse me of the worst, most vile things. That's what they say about me, Timothy. And in doing so, a lot of people may say, well, then I don't want anything to do with Jesus. But Paul says, but I understand the word of God is not in chains. Where I'm at, the word of God is in liberty and is free and is not bound even though my situation may be dire. His word can never be defeated. If you look at this, these two chapters, he goes on and on and on about the victory of his word. We are bound, but the word of God is not bound. We have terrible things happen to us, but the word of God never has anything terrible to say. As hard a book as it is to read sometimes, the word of God is completely life-giving and liberating to every thing we endure. 
Look at what he said uh, in Philippians 1, if you recall. What happened to me in prison advanced the gospel. What happens to us in Christ, even at the worst moments of our life, is to advance the gospel. Unlike this Gunger story, the worst things in life drove her away from God. The worst things in our life should make us reminded that we have a hope in God's word that cannot be defeated. So foundational truth number one is Jesus has to be so present and close to you all the time. Number two is that the word of God is not bound, even if people are. Number three, go down to verse 10. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that may, they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. The third thing is endure everything. Again, Paul's not just like buttering this up. He's saying, Timothy, no matter how hard life gets, you have to endure it. Do not give up just because circumstances don't go your way. Paul's saying, I endure everything, talking about his imprisonment and all his beatings and everything, because there are those who are chosen. There are those who are elect, as some translations would say. There are some of those who are going to obtain salvation, and because of that, I'm never going to give up. He's basically saying, if there's somebody in this room who Jesus Christ is calling to himself, then I am going to do everything I can to make sure that person knows the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to give up because it's hard. I'm not going to give up because it's difficult. I'm going to endure anything because God's guarantee is that he's going to bring people to himself. It's not based upon our own works anyway. God chooses people to be brought into his kingdom. We here are for that reason, for that reason, I'll endure everything for those who are chosen so they may obtain. We're the instrument, is what Paul is saying. We're the instrument. And I thought about this at the table last night, about instruments to reveal this truth of God choosing and bringing salvation to whom he guarantees are going to be saved. And I started with the violin. I don't know if Bryson liked the violin thing. And then I, I, I talked about guitar for the early service. I'll go piano for the ladies of the house. The piano, what brand is that piano? It's a Yamaha, everybody. Raise your hand if you knew that was a Yamaha piano. <laughs> Only the people up front who have good eyesight, or in the back of good eyesight. You knew it was a Yamaha piano. Now, after the ladies are done playing This Little Light or one of their fantastic songs, do we say, man, that is a great piano? Not usually. We're usually like, wow. In our heads, we're like, Linda and Brenda can play the piano. The person who plays the instrument is the one who makes the music happen. The instrument is just a vessel by which we hear the sounds in which their fingers and feet are making it happen. We are the same way to God. He plays us as an instrument in order to bring people to salvation And oftentimes we think it's us that does it. It's God who uses us as his chosen vessel to bring those who he's chosen to salvation. He plays us so that he can receive the glory. We turn around like, God, you are so good. Wow, I can't believe you used me to do that. How is it even possible, God? You are a great God. 
And we give him all the glory for anything we do. And Paul is telling Timothy, I'll endure anything because those who are chosen will receive salvation in Christ Jesus for eternal glory. Anything. If you want a foundation stone in your life, this third one is so important because it's a confident text. It's a confident stone that says, when you're, when you're faithful, when you do anything to advance the kingdom of God, God is going to have his way. God is going to be victorious. You don't have to wonder if God's going to be able to save someone. God is going to be able to. I tell this to people all the time when we go overseas to a mission trip. I'm like, we're not in control of their salvation. God is, and I guarantee God is drawing people to himself, and you can be used to bring people to Christ in the instrument of God. Who doesn't want to have God play us as an instrument? Use us to bring glory to his great name. Timothy says, be strong in that because people are going to find salvation in Christ. It's going to happen because I'm God and he will use you to do it. And I think most of us either think that we're the instrument or we play the song in hopes that we get the credit. Paul Paul said to Timothy, you might not get a lot of credit when you endure everything, but God is going to be made great. It's difficult. It's difficult to to, to realize. Paul saying, I'll endure anything. If you want to be strong, you want to be unashamed, you've got to endure anything. Anything this world throws at you, any obstacle that is in the way, whatever it is, That foundation stone has to be remembered because in those times of difficulty, it's easy to say, all right, that's too much. It's too hard. The cost is too great. I give up. That's not the church. That's not the gospel. The gospel stands because the word of God stands, because Christ stands, because God is in control of salvation, and he's calling us church to be his instruments. Number four, continue on, verse 11 through 13 here. It's a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, like he just was talking about, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Verse 13, if we're faithless, he yet remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is a fantastic truth that sometimes gets overlooked. The fourth truth is God cannot deny himself. God cannot deny himself. He is faithful, but he's faithful to himself. And this is an important truth because a lot of times we're like, well, if I'm unfaithful to God, he's going to still be faithful to me. And I'm not exactly sure where we get that because you know who Paul was quoting here, Jesus himself, Matthew Uh, 1033 says, whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my father. Jesus said this. So Paul is reminding Timothy, there is a trustworthy, there's a foundational statement here that God cannot deny himself. God is faithful, but he's faithful to himself. So if some person says, I don't believe in Jesus, that does not mean that Jesus is not real. That means that person is is denying Jesus, and so Jesus is going to attest his own truthfulness by saying, you may not believe it, but Jesus is real. 
We live in a culture to where we think the popular opinion of people is what matters, and it doesn't. Who cares if somebody says there's not a God? Who cares there is? If somebody says the word of God is not true, we shouldn't be like, oh, I can't believe that person. God's word is faithful because God's faithful to himself. We get so caught up in like, well, I'm going to have to now make a clever argument to defend God's word, or I'm going to have to make a clever statement to make sure to convince somebody. And Paul's saying, God is going to make that argument for you. He's going to maintain his own faithfulness because God's name is never to be belittled. God's name is never to be cast down or brought down. God's name is holy. The name of Jesus is above every name. And if we think that one of us can belittle the name of Jesus and get away with it, it's not going to happen. His name is still going to be holy. His, still, his name is going to still be the greatest, the most high. We as people who are strong in the Lord, need to see this and say, boy, if I'm embarrassed of Jesus, he's going to be embarrassed of me? I don't want that. If I deny Jesus, he's going to deny me? How can he do that? He's saying God is faithful. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his name and his mission and his salvation and his calling and his greatness. He's not faithful to people who think we can just say anything we want about God and he'll just love us. Good news is he loves you, but he's going to love you into deep repentance when you start to deny him. You're going to be deeply sorrowful for that. I told the story when I was in 10th grade where I stood on a stool in front of my youth group and denied Jesus. I will never forget that. It hurts to this day. Jesus cannot be denied because scripture says he will also deny us. But the foundation stone is he cannot deny himself. He is always good. His word always stands, regardless of what somebody else thinks. Which transitions right into this fifth and last foundational stone. I'm going to read it from 14 through 19. It's found in 19, but it's important to look at this. Remind them of these things. He's, he's telling Timothy, remind and teach people these truths because they need it. And solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy even before we get to this point. Useless words and interesting arguments and uh, people who make all kinds of cases against our God or against God's word or against Jesus, you can spend your whole life thinking of clever arguments in order to rebuke those, those statements. And he's basically saying here, Focus on the main things, these things that are so important, and when they start to go astray with little clever arguments, just focus on the word of God that stands. Because here's, here's I watched another, another clip with Francis Chan last night. He said one of the, th the mistakes we make with atheists is we try to convince them. We try to convince them. They have a belief against God, and we defend them by saying, well, here's where that is wrong, and here's where it's right, and then you know what happens? They just find some other argument to believe. They don't turn to Jesus. You make an argument, and they'll be like, well, okay, that one, and then we'll find another one. We'll find another one. The only way those arguments end is when the Word of God just rips somebody who's an atheist's heart out and says, I need Jesus. 
That's when the argument ends. So we spend so much time running this hamster wheel, chasing people, arguing little things that he's saying just lead to the ruin of the hearers because it goes nowhere instead of focusing on, look at verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. All we have to do is proclaim the truth of God's word in its truth. Many times, I've been in youth ministry a long time, many times the youth will come to me with a clever argument or a question where I'll be like, huh. And you know what? A lot of people will be like, well, I'm just going to make a more clever argument back at them, and they're going to walk away dumbfounded, and then they're going to come back with another argument, and I'm going to come up with a... Usually, it doesn't work. Usually what I do is say, I'm not sure the answer to that, and that's okay, but I know what the Word of God says, and that's good enough for me. And I'll always point them back to the Word of God. It doesn't matter what my argument is. It matters how well we handle this Word of truth. So he says, avoid worldly and empty chatter, verse 16, and it'll lead to further ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene among them, Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth saying the resurrection has already taken place. They upset the faith of some. Verse 19, this is the fifth and final stone. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. The last one is the Lord knows who are his. Over and over in scripture, Jesus talked about, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep follow me. There's not one of my sheep that I'm going to lose. The Lord knows who are his. Our job is to accurately handle the word of truth so that he can bring his salvation. I think the church has spent so much time uh, politics or debating popular opinion or just kind of focus on all these different arguments that are out there in the world, and we don't spend enough time accurately handling the Word of God. God's fifth foundation stone is the Lord knows who are His, and it will be proven by His people abstaining from wickedness. Look at how it ends there. It ends with fruit. The Lord knows who are His, He's going to have his way, and it's going to be seen, and it's going to be manifested in his church, his people, living a life that brings glory to God, abstaining from wickedness and bearing fruit. I, uh, I want to be a person who is not ashamed. I want to be this approved to God workman. But I'll confess that there are so many times and so many ways that I'm not. I'm a person who brings my Bible everywhere. Kind of odd that way. I had my Bible, and I was coming out of my house today, and I had this big black Bible. And I had my suit on, apparently the wrong color tie, according to the wife. And I had this big Bible in my hand. I'm getting ready to come to church to preach a sermon. And one of my unsaved neighbors sees me walking his dog. You know what? I didn't like do this. 
I just kind of kept this to myself and walked to my truck and went to work. Am I ashamed? I carry this with me everywhere, and, you know, he might see me holding the Bible. He knows I'm a pastor. It's terrible. I was in Reynosa, Mexico, worshiping at the end of a mission trip one, one time. And we're all praising Jesus for an amazing week. And one of the songs was a song about being unashamed. And I had my hands up, and I was singing, and I just broke down. And I remembered... I'm not like this in America. I'm not out on the streets proclaiming the word of Christ. I'm not living this boldness. I'm keeping Jesus to myself all too often. And I was like, I can't sing this song anymore until God changes my heart. And it's a constant battle because I think I'm a little bit like Timothy. I'm a little bit timid. I'm a little bit worried of what people are going to think. And then scripture comes in and blows us away, blows me away. I say, who cares what people think? Dwight, fear God, not man. Who cares what your neighbor thinks that you carry a big black Bible with you everywhere you go? I love Jesus. We as a church have nothing to be ashamed of in Jesus. And to be strongly unashamed, we're going to take these five truths and we're going to say, God is so good. He's going to have his way that my suffering and my difficulties and whatever I endure, Christ is so close to me that nothing's going to keep his plan from coming forward. And then he says, fruit, abstain from wickedness. Fruit doesn't just happen. Fruit is a long, arduous process, apparently. I can't just stand up here and create strawberries takes time. We cannot look like Jesus overnight. The mark of the Christian is going to be somebody who endures and stands at the end. It's not going to be that person who's like, well, God didn't give me this, this, and this, so I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. It's that person who's like, God didn't give me this, this, and this, and this, and praise be to God. I want us to be reminded by God's word today how bold and courageous we need to be. Because the world doesn't need to see people who are hiding or embarrassed or apologetic for our God. They need a gospel that is the good news in its entirety. And that when we live a life of that, God's going to pour fruit out. It's not going to happen overnight. And we have a lot of people here who have probably had fruit. We have a lot of people here who probably need a lot more fruit to come forward. His truths stand. The Lord knows who are his. We can't see hearts. We can't know that person in our cul-de-sac who's going to come to Jesus. But God does. And what he needs is people who are unashamed to be his instrument to bring his gospel to them, if they're his. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise for your word this day. Your word is life, and it's truth, 
and it's more than we make it out to be. We thank you that it's grace. We thank, that, thank you that we can live underneath your word in which everything else around us seems to be changing based according to what people feel or think or have an opinion of. God, I thank you that uh, you're close. You're here with us this moment, that you have given us your word, you've given us your truth, and it's not easy. And so, God, I pray for this church. I pray that we endure everything for the sake of those who are to obtain salvation. God, I pray that we are people who accurately handle this book, that we are people who are living under it in such a way that no matter the cost, no matter the struggle, no matter the hurt, that we will stay strong because that is what the gospel is about. God, I pray for this time of response to your word. I pray that each one, whether it be where they're at or whether they come forward, each one acknowledges these foundational truths, the word of God, the, the devotion we need to have. And so, God, I pray that we respond in a way that brings you glory and reminds us who we are when we walk out of here. I also pray for that person here today who may not have obtained salvation yet. God, I pray that your word has been given in a way that they can know, Lord Jesus, that you have died and have risen victorious to secure that salvation. So God, we give it to you. We pray that you would have your way and that each one of us would respond as your spirit leads. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the number? 542. This will be our invitation song. And as I shared, I, I just have a belief that uh, every time God's word is proclaimed, we have to respond. Every time. And I think a lot of us are like, well, I'm not coming up front to respond. And that's okay. But it's also more than okay for you to come up and respond. It's also not acceptable for us to sit where we are and say, glad to hear the word of God, I'm going to go out just the same. We have to respond in a way that says, his word has changed me this day, and this week I'm not going to be the same. And ask yourself, what ways am I, un what ways am I unashamed? What ways am I ashamed? And how can I lift up the name of Jesus in the fullest? So let's stand and let's sing this invitation song and let God have his way however he has you to respond.
had a wonderful couple weeks being with you to share these words from 2 Timothy, and I pray that his word has spoken truth to each one of us. Really enjoyed having the choir behind me singing. That was beautiful. When we leave here, our challenge is the enemy is going to want you to just put all that on the back burner, and God is going to say, forget the enemy. Let's live unashamed, declaring the gospel no matter what happens. Amen? We've got Benevolent Sunday. So on your way out, we would ask you to give towards uh, MSEF and the needs around Mechanicsville that we collect each first Sunday of the month. So I would ask you to do that. Know that half of our money goes towards directly to MSEF for assistance in the Mechanicsville area. And we look forward to seeing everyone back tonight or Wednesday night. Let me pray and we'll close. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth and for your goodness this day. God, I pray that as we leave here, we would uh, acknowledge our weakness and the ways that we are susceptible to the enemy and that we would find all our strength in you. Lord God, help us to live under your word. Help us to uh, be people who are bold and courageous and think and dwell and are reminded of you all day long. Make us bold, make us strong, make us unashamed, and help us to suffer and to share the gospel in your great name. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.